This is The Healthy Sensitive, episode 25. Welcome everyone to The Healthy Sensitive. I'm Leah Burkhart, your host on the show, and today I would like to talk about weight loss for highly sensitive people. Uh, I sent out a survey recently trying to get a gauge for what topics, uh, wellness topics in particular, that highly sensitive people are interested in, and uh, I was fascinated to find that weight loss kept coming up as more or less the primary thing. I'm actually a weight loss facilitator, so that works to my benefit because it's a topic that I'm passionate about. Uh, But I wanted to not just talk about weight loss, obviously, uh, you know, for the average bear, but this, again, is specifically catered for highly sensitive people. Uh, So to begin with, before I launch into how can highly sensitive people lose weight, I first want to talk a little bit about why it is that highly sensitive people might be more likely to gain it in the first place. And while I don't have a large sample size to be able to, you know, extract data from a statistically significant number, I have enough anecdotal evidence from those that I've worked with and from some of the responses I'm getting on a lot of these surveys that seem to suggest the following. Um, First off, highly sensitive people are more likely than those who don't identify as being sensitive uh, to get overwhelmed. So... You know, daily activities that most people would find maybe not fabulous or exhilarating or, you know, yes, I love doing this. You know, lots of people get bored at their jobs. Lots of people get overwhelmed. Uh, But highly sensitive people are just more prone to get there sooner. And they're triggered by things that others, the majority of people, might not even really be phased by. And when anyone feels overwhelmed, the desire that creeps into the system is grounding. We want to feel a moment of relief. We want to feel a moment of, oh, okay. You want you want to feel like you can take that breath. And, you know, I, theoretically, there's lots of substances a person could use to, you know, incite or encourage that experience. There's also a lot of behaviors we could engage in. So the kinds of things that ideally we would be drawn to, to feel that sense of grounding would be exercise or meditation or calling a friend or getting a hug or something. But we don't always have access to those things. When we're caught in the midst of a 12-hour day that's right smack in the middle of what's turning into a 60-hour work week, we don't necessarily always feel like we have a 60-minute walk available to us. It may be that the culture and the environment that we're working in isn't really encouraging in that area. It could also be the case that, you know, we we don't hug our fellow employees, you know, or maybe there just isn't anyone available. You know, all those other things that I mentioned, long walks, meditation, they require a different sort of currency, and the currency is time or availability of other people to be there for us. Those things aren't always available, but food almost always is. And the funny thing about food is it works every time. It is the perfect grounding substance for a highly sensitive person. It's... Well, I don't even know how to explain this. Um, For a lot of people, smoking pot gives you that sense of like, yes! And a lot of other people will say, yeah, you know, macaroni and cheese will be the trick too, but man, not like not like a good beer would. For highly sensitive people, their nervous systems are impacted pretty extremely by subtle changes. So food is great because you take it in and it's not too overwhelming. It doesn't send you in a high, but it does get the job done. And I think it gets the job done better for highly sensitive people than it would even for an ordinary person, which is saying a lot because it works for everybody. So again, highly sensitive people, because they're more likely to feel overwhelmed, they are also more likely to want grounding. And food is a very grounding thing. It's a grounding substance. It's nourishing. It's inherently nourishing. Uh, 
why would they feel overwhelmed? Why wouldn't they just tell their bosses or their spouses or whatever it is that they are perceiving to be the overwhelming, yeah, you know, sort of feature in their life? Well, they're conscientious people and they really don't like conflict. So if you're dealing with a highly sensitive person or if you are a highly sensitive person, you're going to be way more attached to getting a jo the job done and doing it well. That combination of traits, if you feel kind of like you're overwhelmed and you also really want to do a good job, you're much more likely to prioritize out there before you prioritize what's in here, i.e. you're going to prioritize what other people need before you're going to prioritize what you need. That's just the way they tick. Why then would that cause weight gain? Again, weight loss requires a lot of bandwidth and a lot of time for prepping, shopping, chopping, moving. And if it doesn't feel like that time is available, highly sensitive people still need joy. Uh, there's actually a student in one of my classes who said it this way, and I thought it was really eloquently said. She said, you know, <laughs> I've realized that I need water, I need food. Those are obvious things that I need to survive. But I think I also need joy. I need it. It's an ingredient. It's a vital substance. Um, and I know what brings me joy. The kinds of things that bring me really robust joy include spending an hour rolling on the floor with my kids, going for a long walk by myself, listening to music. But I don't always have the time for these things. But I do have time for a taco. And even though the taco won't give me the same robust joy that the long 60-minute walk will, Let's say 60-minute walk gives me a dollar of joy and, you know, the taco only gives me 50 cents. If I don't have any time at all to go walking, I still need some joy in my life. And the taco is one way to get there. might be a little cheaper. It's not going to get me all the way to that place of glorious satisfaction, but it's better than nothing. So these are the kinds of themes I hear really frequently for highly, you know, when I'm talking to highly sensitive people about weight. Lots of people struggle with weight, and most of them are not actually highly sensitive. But what I'm finding is for those highly sensitive people who do struggle with their weight, these are the themes that come up. I feel overwhelmed. I feel like I'm taking care of everyone else before I'm taking care of myself. I don't know how to reverse that behavior pattern. And frankly, once again, I still need to feel some amount of joy, and food gives that to me and it causes no one else any harm. It's not like I'm binging and going off and like taking in heroin in my veins and unable to get back to work and be a good citizen. If I sit in front of the refrigerator and eat a pint of ice cream, that causes harm to no one else in my life. So why can't I have this? I'm so conscientious in all these other arenas in my life. I'm paying attention to my kids, to my work, to my fellow, to my friends, to my family. I'm constantly on the lookout for ways that I can make the world around me calmer, safer, sweeter for other people. Because when I do that, it makes me also feel safer, calmer, more um, at ease. So it's not like I'm not getting anything out of doing these things. It's not like I'm just truly codependent. It's just, I want to make the world a better place and by the time I'm done I'm exhausted and this is just one area in my life that I don't want to have to be vigilant with. I'm vigilant everywhere else. Why do I have to be vigilant here? So this is the narrative that I've been given and you know I'd love to hear from you out in the audience if, I, if you feel like I've missed anything or if you feel like maybe in fact I'm, I'm incorrect here but um, this is what I've perceived and picked up from those that I work with. So from here, I'm going to kind of back off a little bit and talk about what does it take to lose weight and what does it take to keep it off. And the information I'm going to bring into the mix here is coming directly from the National Weight Control Registry. National Weight, I believe that's what it's called, yes. Uh, they essentially took, like, they interviewed thousands of people all over the country. Uh, actually, let me back up here. It was determined through research that very few people, in terms of percentages, who tried to lose weight, successfully lost weight and kept it off for an extended period of time. Anybody can lose weight. It's challenging, but for the most part, it's very doable. 
it's the keeping it off part that we really struggle. And so, you know, if it was looking really grim there for a while, like maybe 90 to 95% of people were gaining the weight back. So you can imagine, right, if the USDA were to be, you know, given a request from a drug company to pass and put a stamp of approval on such and such and so and so drug, and it's like, well, it's 5% effective. I mean, I would hope <laughs> that they wouldn't pass that. So if weight loss is only 5% effective, why would we continue to encourage it? Why not just let it go? So this organization got together and said, okay, well, let's actually take a look at what that 5% is doing. What Are they special? Are they genetic anomalies? Like, what's going on there? And here's what they discovered. They found that, no, there really wasn't any genetic anomaly. Uh, I'm sure to some extent age and gender played a little bit of a part, but for the most part, it was really, it all boiled back down to behaviors. People who successfully lose at least 30 pounds and are able to keep that weight off for at least two to five years all modified their diet in some way. Interesting and fun fact, it, it was not all done by doing the same diet. There's a lot of research out there that uh, is actually debunking the, con the, the uh, theories around, oh, it needs to be this diet or that diet, or it needs to be paleo or vegan or I don't know, whatever. If you want to lose weight, it turns out whether you do low carb or low fat or low calorie, if at the end of the day you manage to eat less than you were eating before, you will lose weight. The trick is to figure out how to do that and not go crazy. How, how can I eat less than I was eating before and feel nourished? And for everyone, the answer to that question is a little different. There is a guy out there who did it eating Taco Bell every day. He has one breakfast taco for breakfast and he doesn't eat any snacks and he has a taco salad for lunch and he doesn't eat any snacks and he has, I don't even know, I, I'm just making this up. I don't actually even know if they have a breakfast taco at Taco Bell, but <laughs> there is a guy who's done it somehow eating fast food. I haven't met that person personally, but I'm sure he exists. You notice I'm saying it's probably a guy. But for the most part, I find that people tend to be a bit more successful when they're eating what we classically consider to be healthy foods. The biggest reason for that is that healthy foods have a lot of fiber, they have a lot of nutrients, so we tend to feel full when we, when we eat them, but we'll get there in a second. So at any rate, what do people who lose weight and keep it off have in common? They eat less, and they figure out how to do it in a way that feels good. It feels like satisfaction. Number two, they move more. Shocking, right? But not just a little bit more. They move a lot. Successful, I was about to say successful losers. Wow. Um, those who are successful with weight loss typically move 60 to 90 minutes every day. But before you, please don't get off. Don't stop here. If you're, gonna, if you're feeling like, no way am I going to do that, please keep in mind, it didn't have to be all at once. And it didn't have to be crazy, interval, training, plyometric, P90, insane. It didn't have to be any of that. Most people were walking. So it just, if you think about how our bodies evolved, our bodies evolved in an environment where getting enough calories was challenging and we were perpetually in movement. You know, probably averaging 20 to 25,000 steps a day. So if you consider that, Imagining that your body would have to move 60 to 90 minutes really shouldn't feel quite so daunting. A lot of people did it, you know, by breaking it up. Maybe they walked the dog in the morning. Maybe they walked during lunch. They came home, did one last little walk in the evening. You add up 20 minutes here, 30 minutes there, 25 minutes there, and presto, you've got over an hour of movement. So don't feel intimidated. Also, none of those folks did that right away. They worked up to that over time. So... And I know there's a lot of uh, you know, evidence out there that says you only need to exercise 30 minutes. Just to be clear, 30 minutes of exercise every day is plenty if you're worried about health. So if you want to reduce your risk of depression, if you want to improve your, uh, reduce your risk of heart disease, if you want to reduce your risk of Alzheimer's and dementia, you know, all of those things that we 
a sort of like champion exercise for, you only got to do 30 minutes for it. The 60 to 90 minute rule is specifically for weight loss. So just keep that in mind. Uh, something else a lot of folks who are successful, they eat a lot of vegetables. Notice I didn't say fruits and vegetables. I will tell you, you can have as much fruit as you want. You just have to have twice as many vegetables. That's the rule I give folks. But at any rate, it doesn't matter what diet you pick. I don't care if you're reading the South Beach diet, the Atkins diet, the... I don't even know how many diets are out there at this point. Paleo, vegan are the big ones right now. But, you know, insert diet here. Everybody is in agreement. Vegetables are good for you. Non-starchy. Eat them to your heart's content. I have yet to meet a person who came back to me and said, Leah, I think the extra broccoli is making me gain weight. I just haven't heard it said. So go to town with your vegetables. People who are successful with weight loss also tend to drink a lot of water. As a rule of thumb, uh, you can take your weight in pounds, divide that number by two. That's about how many ounces you should be drinking at minimum. So like if you have a 150-pound woman, take that number and divide it by two. That's 75. 75 ounces is about uh, a little over nine cups of water a day, just to give you an idea. And finally, this is a little, this is almost correlated. It's not perfectly caused, but uh, those who are successful tend to get enough sleep. Primarily, getting enough sleep helps in a couple of ways. Number one, it gives you the bandwidth to be more deliberate about what you eat. And it also gives you the energy to exercise. <laughs> so at the end of the day, if you ever feel overwhelmed by the abundance of information out there that all seems to counter contradict each other, just remember this. Eat less, move more still applies. The trick is to figure out how to do that and continue to do that forever. Because a lot of people think, okay, I'm going to eat less, I'm going to move more, and then I'm going to get to my goal weight, and then, but I'm done, I can stop now, bring on the, yeah, I don't know, whatever your it food is, mine's pasta, but anyway, <laughs> no, you have to keep doing the things you were doing before, forever. You can imagine why then people might not sustain this for a lifetime. Lots of good reasons. The main one is it's hard. So that isn't typically news for people that I talk to when they ask, how do you I lose weight successfully? They're usually really bummed when I tell them, eat less, move more, eat a lot of vegetables, get enough sleep. <laughs> like, um, but the trick that we have to sort of figure out is how do I do this effectively? So I'm going to break this down. The three big pieces you need, and this is actually coming from the uh, IMB model. Wow. Uh, so yeah, information, motivation, and behavioral skills. It's a model of behavior change. You can look it up. I can put it in the show notes. But in essence, the first thing you need whenever you want to make a big change in your life, you need information, i.e. you need to know what it is you need to do. In our case, the information you need is eat less, move more. Number two, motivation. You have to be really clear about what your why is. And let me tell you something, this is imperative for highly sensitive people. If there isn't a really good reason that you have for wanting to lose weight, something that goes down to the bone and rankles you, there really isn't a good point to do all of this. It takes up a lot of bandwidth, it's exhausting, it, you know, it can be worthwhile because most people do tend to feel good when they have less weight, literally, on their shoulders. But I find that if anyone, and particularly high, highly sensitive people, if there isn't a really clear motivation, like I used to, I, I want to hike up Machu Picchu and right now my knees hurt and I think if I lost a little bit of weight it wouldn't hurt so badly. Or I want to live to see my grandchild graduate from high school and I have type 2 diabetes and I really want to do everything I can to, to you know, not just reduce the risk for, I want to reduce the risk for complications in that end. So something rich and meaningful to you. And the final one is behavioral skills. Now, the information I'm giving you right now is actually coming from a book called Living Smart uh, by Sherry Pruitt. We use this in a lot of the uh, classes that I facilitate. So if you want to look her up, she's fabulous. So uh, she, I'm not even kidding, folks. You're probably going to, 
I can I can feel you groaning on the other end without even having started. Uh, you know how there are smart goals, so specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, time bound, uh, or yeah. Anyway, this isn't smart goals. This is smart skills. Not exactly the same thing. And I know it's the same acronym. Bear with me. So S. <laughs> Set a specific goal. So you could actually even say set a SMART goal, but the thing to remember here is it has to be an action. I can't tell you how many times people who come to me and want to lose weight will say, my goal is to lose a pound in a week. And it's like, that's great. How are you going to do that? And then they sort of look blankly at me. Like, well, I'm just going to do it. That's my goal. It's like, no, that's not actually, I mean, that can be a goal, but that's not an action. I know because I have personally tried getting on a scale and negotiating with it and pleading with it, and it's never been a successful conversation. I've gotten on that bad boy and been like, hey, listen, I was good this week, so you need to come and you need to show up for me today. <laughs> I need you to go down. I don't actually have any control over what the scale reads. All it's giving me is information about how much gravity I'm putting down on the earth. What I do have control over are my behaviors. So when I say set a goal here, I really mean set up an actionable goal. Examples would include, I'm going to set a goal to exercise 20 minutes every day. Or I'm going to set a goal to, eat, to, to drink eight glasses of water every day. You know, it has to be really clear. It has to be something you can measure. It has to be something you can see. So how would I know you were successful? <laughs> like, that's one measurement you can use for it. And can I watch you do it? I can't actually watch you lose weight. It doesn't happen fast enough. But I can watch you walk. I can watch you eat your vegetables. Next, monitor. Monitor your progress. And I've got to tell you, I am a holistic nutritionist. So I was not happy to discover that it is good to monitor your weight. I was extremely resistant to this, but unless you have a history of an eating disorder, and by eating disorder I mean specifically anorexia or bulimia, the research shows, I'm not lying to you, I'm a highly sensitive person, I really wanted this not to be true, but it is, the research shows that it is extremely beneficial to weigh every day. Same time of day, same circumstances, and then, and this part is important, take an average at the end of the week. The reason why this is helpful, so sort of like, again, don't get off just yet, wait. <laughs> I want you to imagine you weighed on Sunday. So this is week one, day one, you weighed. And for all you know, you were very gradually moving down. You were eating well, you were moving a lot, you were drinking your water, you were trying to get good sleep. You did all those things. And then comes Saturday night. And you were still within your calories, mind you. You were really good. You, you pulled up my fitness pal or lose it or whatever app that you wanted to use. And you stayed within your calories. But you ate some chips and salsa because it was Saturday night and you did have a cocktail. You still were in your calories, remember. But then the next day you gain weight. If you weren't weighing every day, you wouldn't have seen that you were actually going in the right direction. And then on Saturday night, when you had some chips and some alcohol, what happens when you eat salty things and drink alcohol? You retain water. So all you would have seen is that you did all of that work, and from day one to day, I guess, seven, so, you know, in that week span, you gained 0.1 ounces or whatever. It's just like, what? I did all that work and nothing happened? Well, then screw this. I'm out of here. I'm not going to do this anymore. That would be a perfectly reasonable response unless you had seen all of those data points in the meantime. And this actually moves into the next thing you have to track. But if you were also tracking your food, you'd be able to see some really cool data. You'd go, oh, I wonder if it's just that I'm retaining water. I had a lot of salt last night. Interesting. So then let's say you just drank a lot of water and, you know, you were just eating healthily. You weren't starving yourself, but you were just a little bit more deliberate about your foods the whole day the following day. Then the next day you weigh in and you've lost two pounds. That was the water weight. So this is why it can be helpful to weigh every day. It's not to make you feel bad about yourself and sort of be like, are you being accountable every day? 
That's one part of it, but it's also so that you can see how different foods interact in your body specifically. How sensitive is your body to salt? How responsive is it to hydration? So, and then the reason why it's important to take an average at the end of each week, that's what keeps you sane because your body will fluctuate, especially for women, just so you know. Fun stuff. So yeah, number two, because I already mentioned this, is tracking your food. Now to be clear, if you want to track your food, there's lots of ways to do it. You can do it by tracking your calories. You can do it by tracking portion sizes. Um, some people do it a little bit more informally, so they just write down on post-its. The power of food tracking seems, I mean, I, I, all the research seems to show that the more deliberate and detailed the notes, the more effective the weight loss is, or the more efficient, or however you want to phrase that. The more you track, the more you lose. But the power is really just coming in awareness. So let's imagine, for a lot of people, and they'll say this to me directly, there are times when I really want a cookie, but I'm so tired and I don't want to have to write it down or put it into my app, so I don't eat it. It's not worth it. I'm too tired. <laughs> and it's re it can be extremely helpful in that regard. In terms, And it's not something that is painful. It's not like they're sitting there going, I was starving and I didn't do it because. It's more of a, yeah, you know, I... I realized how much I was eating and that was actually really helpful there. I got an opportunity to drink another cocktail or eat another cookie and I actually chose not to do it because I realized I was already over my calories or my whatever. So once again, people who have successfully lost weight and kept it off, they're not all doing the same diet. There's nothing anywhere that suggests that there needs to be only one diet you do, but they all modified their food intake in some capacity. And then finally, the last one you want to monitor would be your exercise. Um, at this point in time, uh, like Fitbits are out there or whatever brand you particularly like. You can have step counters or you can, you can do whatever. You can just write it down on a calendar. But just like with measuring weight and food, it's just helping you get a sense for, okay, how, how successful was I in keeping these habits in place? How much stronger do I feel? Like, you know, maybe one day you wake up and you're absolutely wiped out and you look at your calendar and you think, yeah, well, you know, for three days straight now, I've clocked a lot of steps and I did some pretty extreme exercise classes. You know, it's just treat this not as a judgment, just treat it as data. You're just trying to get information about your body in a really objective way. Okay, so all of those things are all in the realm of monitoring. So we have number one, set a specific goal. Number two, monitor your progress. Number three, arrange your environment for success. I don't care what you say about willpower. If you tell me, oh, it really shouldn't matter. I mean, my kids eat Fruity Pebbles, so therefore, blah, blah, blah. Uh, my husband doesn't care about my weight loss plan, so blah, blah, blah. Or my wife, or my whatever. If your environment has cookies in it, you're going to eat them. Maybe not right now, but at 10.30 at night when you've worked a 12-hour shift and you're exhausted and they're just sitting on the counter, that's because you're fighting biology. Everything in your system is built to try and seek out and take in calories. You are not a weak-willed human being. You are only human. So... If there are bagels on your counter, you will eat the bagel. If there are only fruits and vegetables in your refrigerator, you're probably going to eat fruits and vegetables. So you want to try and arrange your environment so that there's less temptation around you. Another way of putting this is, you know, your willpower is kind of like a bank account. You only get so much every day. Do you really want to continue to have to spend it on these frivolous decisions? Or do you want to try and save up your, your money, your income, not spending it so quickly and keeping your environment such that it's really easy to make good choices? Number four, and this kind of actually lends itself well to your environment, it's recruit support. We are social animals. If no one in your life is supportive to helping you to lose weight, the likelihood of you being successful is slim to none. When your friend gains weight, you are 50% more likely to gain weight too. When your friend loses weight, you are 50% more likely to lose weight as well. We, you know, birds of a feather flock together. 
can, I mean, if what we're doing for fun together is going on walks, you can imagine why we might both be losing weight. If the thing that we connect over is a meal, and for very specifically pastries, <laughs> like you can imagine why that might not be conducive to weight loss. So it's really important that you have support in your life and that people around you aren't sabotaging your efforts. And finally, most importantly, I think, and also the greatest challenge, treat yourself. That's the final one, T. If you want to make a habit stick, there has to be a reward system put in place. And it can't just be a long-term reward. So, you know, once I lose 50 pounds, I'm going on a cruise. I mean, you can go on a cruise, that's fine. But you also want a reward system in place for every time that you are successful in the behavior. So it might, it doesn't have to be anything complicated. It can be every time I exercise, I take a dollar from my checking account to my savings account. And when it gets to a certain amount, I spend it on the new sweater I wanted. Or it can be every time that I exercise, I put a post on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, and I get all these likes from my friends. Um, whatever it is, whatever your thing is, you want the reward system to be such that every time you engage in the behavior, you get a little zzzz. <laughs> uh, Fitbit has mastered this, by the way. I have one on my wrist right now. Every time I get to my step goal, it does this little firecracker show. and like, you're awesome. You're the best. And I'm just sitting here like a little dog going, yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> like, um, and I know and like intellectually that they are playing me <laughs> and they've done the research on this and they're just sort of, you know, making me feel better about a thing that I know that they're using marketing. I know they're using all of this research on me. <laughs> still works. I really like it. <laughs> so make your own firecracker show. Maybe for you, a Fitbit firecracker show is enough, but if it's not, what might yours look like? Now, having said all of this, all of these tools help all people with weight loss, really with any kind of behavior change. Here's a few caveats that I want to bring to the mix, really bring to the table uh, when it comes to highly sensitive people. Now, first of all, the good news is highly sensitive people have the capacity to just rock this. They are extremely conscientious and they tend to be high functioning, high performing, and they are typically very self-reflective. Uh, they're capable of making or you know, sort of being deliberate about the choices that they engage in. And so in this regard, it's sort of a perfect scenario for highly sensitive people. When they engage in this, they tend to be very successful. Having said that, here's a few things that highly sensitive people really need to remember uh, in order not to get swayed off the path. Number one, I've mentioned this earlier, but there really needs to be a very good reason for wanting to lose weight. Highly sensitive people work better when they have purpose that deep processing unit that's wired up in their brains, if whatever they're doing isn't sinking down to the darkest corners of their soul, it's really hard for them to stick to it. We're going to be swayed pretty easily by someone who needs us as a general rule. It's not always true, but frequently it is. So if you don't have a good reason, because remember, you have to move your body an hour to 90 minutes every day. You have to be tracking your food. I mean, in some measure, you have to be eating all these vegetables and chopping and shopping. That's a lot of bandwidth. So if you don't have a really good reason to want to do this, I just, why? Why do it then? It's okay. Breathe deep. You love your body. Move on. <laughs> uh, also, for highly sensitive people, eating less really is not enough. So you always hear the tales of someone who just eats the same thing every day, and it's not even that especially healthy, but they make it work. It will work. You can, and there's, I have the research to prove it, lose weight by eating nothing but 1,200 calories of Twinkies and Ho-Hos. It can be done. But you'll feel like crap. And highly sensitive people in particular really can't do that. That's not going to be a successful route for them. Part of the reason is that they tend to be much more sensitive to blood sugar imbalances. So when they feel really hungry, they're not very productive. When they're stuffed, they want to take a nap. Like their, their bodies are doing what any human body is doing. It's just they're doing it at extremes. We feel things more intensely. So, yes, you want to eat less, but highly sensitive people in particular also want to be a little deliberate about what it is they're taking in. So the quality and the quantity are both really important for highly sensitive people. Uh, to make this simple, 
Generally, highly sensitive people do better with small frequent meals. Balances your blood sugar better. So that's number one. And two, in every meal you want something that has some protein in it. If you're a plant-based eater, beans, not seeds. And you want something that has some fiber in it. If you're a plant-based eater, beans, nuts, seeds, that's fine. Oh, sorry, <laughs> I didn't. If you're an omnivore, I forgot to mention. So if plant eaters, your protein sources will be beans, nuts, seeds, you know, can be tofu, which is a legume, but anyway. Uh, protein sources for vegetarians would also include dairy and whey. And then if you're an omnivore, then it would include uh, animal products as well. So chicken, beef, lamb, etc. On top of that, you want to eat something with some fiber. Your best source is going to be your vegetables. So in a perfect world, breakfast would be vegetable scramble. Snack would be carrots and hummus. <laughs> Lunch would be, if you're an omnivore, chicken salad. If you're a plant eater, I don't know, taco salad with beans and stuff. Uh, snack, apple and almond butter. Again, fiber is your fruit. Almond butter is your protein. Uh, Dinner would be, I don't know, a vegetable stir-fry with brown rice or quinoa or something. So in each case, there's something with some protein and something with some fiber. What those two things do is give you energy, and they also give you that balanced satiety experience. Number three, exercise. So all people need to exercise, but for highly sensitive people, it absolutely needs to be engaging, not painful. The no pain, no gain slogan is horrible idea for highly sensitive people. It will scare them right the pruck away. Not helpful. Uh, so highly sensitive people would be, uh, do, they tend to do really well in things like cardio yoga. Um, maybe even Bikram yoga if you're really going gung-ho there. Uh, they might like hiking in nature. Might like. Most of them love it. Uh, for them maybe it's swimming because there's the breathing and the meditation involved. Uh, they might love dance classes, like Zumba. Uh, it depends on how, whether or not they like the loud quality. Sometimes it's a little too much stimulus going on. Uh, but great classes, if, you're, if you like dance, would be something like Mia, which I just tried today, by the way, and I can tell you more about it. It's fabulous. So, it, which is sort of a combination of martial arts and, and interpretive dance and, and Qigong, and it was really interesting. But at any rate, it... Highly sensitive people do well when the movement they're engaging in is actually helping them sink deeper into themselves. There's, there's, there's meaning behind it. It's richer. It's not just, how do I beat your body to a pulp and sculpt it the way that I like? Um, another thing to consider. Highly sensitive people, as far as I've experienced in my practice, seem to be more prone to emotional eating. There's a tool for this that seems to be extremely helpful for anyone who's an emotional eater, sensitive or otherwise, and it's acceptance commitment therapy. So let's say that you're on a diet and, uh, on a diet, I'm not really a crazy about that word, but let's say that you've been doing really well with your weight management plan. You feel physically fine, so it's not like you're starved, you don't feel pained, and yet something emotionally triggering happens to you and you're just you black out and all of a sudden you're halfway through a bowl of Kraft macaroni and cheese and that's not on your plan. And in the midst of it, you look down and you go, oh my God, I don't even know how this happened. What will frequently happen to an emotional eater is it's, well, I screwed up anyway, so let's just keep going. If, however, you have this tool, acceptance commitment therapy, this can actually help you accept what has just happened, forgive yourself, and move right back into your plan. So it's really helpful set of tools for someone who has a history of emotional eating. So what is acceptance commitment therapy? It's a technique that can be used uh, to soothe the inner critic. Calm it, write the flub down. There are six stages, I'll say, or, or principles is probably a better word, of acceptance commitment therapy. The first is cognitive diffusion. So Let's paint. So I'm painting the picture of the person who ate the Kraft macaroni and cheese. I mean, it doesn't have to be Kraft. It could be real cheddar if you want. I don't care. But that was my childhood food. I'm eating the macaroni and cheese. I'm halfway done, and I'm just like, oh crap! I just ate macaroni and cheese, and I'm pretty sure this is gonna screw up my entire meal plan. If I keep going, this would probably be bad. 
what just happened there? So the cognitive diffusion is just, it's the moment of pause. You take a breath. It's like, wait, 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 wait. You know, because what will frequently happen is I'm eating it and I think, oh my God, I'm such a failure. Why can't I keep myself together? Everyone else seems to be able to eat just fine, but some, for some reason I'm the crazy person. What's wrong with me? Yada, yada, yada. Um, diffusion is sort of like, whoa, whoa. I mean, yeah, I ate the macaroni and cheese, but first of all, it's delicious. So that seems pretty understandable. And number two, am I really a horrible person? Really? And so if you can do that, it's just sort of like, it's, it's that space you enter into when you're willing to get curious. The next phase, uh, acceptance. Okay, yup, I ate it. That happened. It's not good, it's not bad, it just is. Um, the next is connection with the present moment. So it's just, okay, pause for a second. What's really going on here? How do you feel physically? What was happening before you started eating this thing? What's going on? Are you really falling to pieces? Are you really a failure or are you just a human? I think you're just a human, so just breathe. What's going on? And that sort of gravitates very nicely into the observing self. So it's Moving away from that judging inner critic and moving into the space of, okay, let's just observe my thoughts. How interesting. All I did was eat. I ate food that wasn't on my plan, and that was enough to make all of these alarm bells go off and make my critic just want to beat me to a pulp. This feels awful. Interesting. Huh. Okay. And now the next one is values. So... Before you keep going with eating the rest of the bowl, you kind of hang back for a minute and go, okay, let me just think about this really quickly here. What are my highest and greatest values? And let's say health is one of your values. And you look down and you think, well, eh. I mean, health is a really great value of mine. So is this in alignment with my values? Hmm. Well, I guess in some ways it is, because I feel like it's healthy to allow a little bit of indulgence. You know, I, I can live with this. But for the most part, not really. I mean, there's not really any protein and there's not really any fiber. <laughs> and I'm sure it's way over my calories, so yeah. And so then the next phase is committed action. Once you get what your values are, okay, what is something that, what's an action you can take right now that would be in alignment with your values? And it's like, well, it would probably be to wrap the rest of this up. Maybe I can give the rest of it to someone else, or maybe I'll just eat the rest of it tomorrow with some broccoli on the side or something. And it would be to get a glass of water and to sit quietly, maybe even watch some TV, who knows. So using this set of principles helps, not so much in that it takes away whatever it is that you consumed. It's just, it gives you an opportunity to recognize that you're only a human being and there's nothing morally bankrupt about eating something that wasn't on your plan, but it isn't on your plan. So just move on. It happened. That's okay. Interesting. Why did it happen? Oh, it's because I'm exhausted and there was nothing in my refrigerator and I didn't know what to eat and I was really hungry. So I made this. Okay, well, if I don't want to do this again, maybe what I can do in the future is simply have other foods available that are just as, you know, um, nourishing, that feel just as good going down, um, but that are on my food plan. Okay, that's no problem. Move on. That's what successful people do, and this is a technique that can be extremely valuable for highly sensitive folks. And the final thing I'm going to bring into the play here is the body positive movement. I find the the fact that the body positive movement and weight management enthusiasts are butting heads right now, I think is funny. I just think it's funny. Because frankly, they should be allies. Body positive, by the way, if you don't know what it is, it's a movement that's essentially saying you should not, your body is not an apology. Your body is beautiful exactly the way it is, and you shouldn't have to feel badly about wanting to feed it. You know, stop trying to fit into some cookie cutter size that someone else told you was appropriate. So body positive is about embracing your body as it is in all of its wonder. 
and weight management efforts are really like all there's plenty of research to show that if you are put if you have more weight on your body than is optimal like is your probably your likely set point it's just putting a strain on you you can at the very same time love your body just the way it is and still be curious about what it can do in fact, I would say the only way for a highly sensitive person in particular to be successful is to carry both of these things. You don't get to shame your body and look in the mirror and say, you ugly fat pig. Because you're not an ugly fat pig. You're a human being. And there's nothing wrong with, having a, with taking up space in this world. You've earned it. Take up space. If you also want to try exercising because you feel like you're sluggish and you want more energy, and you kind of feel like, you know, if I lost a little bit of weight, I think that would make moving easier. Well, then do both. I know it seems counterintuitive, but you don't want to have either or. It's always both and. If you can somehow manage to say, I love my body for all that it's done for me and all that it's continued to do for me, you know, all it continues to do for me and all that it will do for me tomorrow, I am so grateful. I also am really curious about what this bad boy can do or bad girl, whatever. That's the sweet spot. That's the place where it's just like, sure, I'd love to lose some weight, but I'm not going to bank all of my value on it. You know, if I don't lose it and I still am able to get stronger and feel fitter and live better, then I win. And, you know, I'd like to, but that's not the be all end all. On the flip side, so if you're at either extreme, because I've seen extreme examples of body positive, and I, I'm, I'm, I can appreciate it, but I struggle with it. Extreme body positive thinks that uh, you know, folks or, or um, advocates will often say things like, no, any contemplation of dieting or, or moderating your food consumption is not body positive. And in my mind, that's just crazy. It's like, are you kidding me? So... If I'm choosing not to eat refined carbs and I'm choosing instead to be more deliberate and eating foods that make me feel good, then I'm not body positive. I mean, that's just wild to me. Uh, I can understand it if you're talking about weight and you don't want someone to become obsessed with their weight because, God, imagine how much bandwidth you would have in your life to, to do really phenomenal things if you weren't constantly obsessing about your body image. That I get. I totally get that 100%. But... I just can't see how see the harm in being curious about, hey, how do I navigate in this world in a way that lands me with as much energy as possible? Because this is the test I give people when they'll ask me, like, how do I know if I've eaten a healthy meal? I'll say, well, <laughs> if you have more energy when you leave the table than you did when you got there, you win. If after eating you want to take a nap, you probably either ate too much or too much of something that your body didn't do so well with. Uh, if you are still feeling hungry and that hunger is leaving you with less energy than you would like, you didn't eat enough. So the test is, do you have more energy leaving the table than when you got there? Anyone who tries to tell me that playing with that is somehow not body positive is going to have a real tough time convincing me of it. Um, so, and on the same token, there are some folks that are so dogmatic about weight management that they, they'll say things like, oh, body positive, that's woo woo. You know, come on, get with the program, get your BMI in order. That's absurd too, because body, you know, beautiful bodies come in all shapes and sizes. I know women that are curvy, much larger than me and who could dominate me on a marathon race. They're, they're gorgeous. I know women who are much slimmer than me. They look like giraffes. I mean, just really elegant creatures. And uh, they are even maybe told that they're underweight, but they feel great. They feel fine. Weight is one barometer amongst many health barometers, and it's certainly not even the most important one. But if your weight is in some measure keeping you from doing the things that you desperately want to do. If you love to hike and you're finding that your knees hurt because the weight is too much. Um, if you, uh, 
have chronic conditions that you know would probably be alleviated if you could take off some of the weight in your body. There's nothing wrong with engaging in behaviors that are helpful toward, you know, helpful in losing weight. Eating your vegetables, moving your body, getting enough sleep, that's going to help anyone, whether or not the weight comes off. So these are just important principles to remember, especially as a highly sensitive person. Every, as a recap to all of this, what do you need in order to lose weight? You need to eat less, you need to move more. It's that simple. But how do you do that without feeling like you're deprived? Well, you eat less processed foods, you eat all the whole foods, and you eat as many vegetables as you want. <laughs> um, there are some skills that can help you stay focused and stay in the game. The skills are, you know, setting specific goals, having a way of monitoring, you know, arranging your environment, having support in your life, and having rewards in place for every time that you engage in the behavior of choice. And then finally, as a highly sensitive person, it's important to remember that for you, more than even the average person, you're really going to need a very good reason to want to lose weight. If you don't have one, let it go. It's really not that big of a deal. Uh, if you have a good reason, then great, let's get started. You know, and for highly sensitive people, you're not going to be the one who loses weight eating Twinkies and Ho-Hos. Maybe you will, but you won't feel good doing it. You're going to want to be good about eating. I, I say to my HSPs all the time, you've got a really short karmic leash, babe. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, when you exercise, you're going to want to do things that make it feel like recess. You want it to be play. If it's painful, you're not going to keep doing it, so don't. Um, if you notice that you have emotional eating tendencies, I highly recommend that you look into acceptance commitment therapy. There's lots of books on it. I'm happy to do you know, more podcasts on it. A uh, really marvelous way of breaking through the nasty shame cycle. And finally, if you want to be successful, you have to integrate self-love with self-care. So it's not ever going to be the case that you are either going to lose weight or you're going to love your body. If you really want to be successful, you've got to do both. So uh, that's pretty much it for this evening. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you have, have any questions, please, please, I'd love to hear from you. Um, join me on my website, the www.thehealthysensitive.com. You can contact me through there. You can send an email to me. Um, I am always happy to hear from you. Always happy to chat. I, obviously, I love to hear myself speak. I'm even worse in writing. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter, uh, HealthyHSP, and uh, in Instagram, The Healthy Sensitive. Uh, have a wonderful, wonderful week, and I will see you or hear you or speak to you, if that's the one, <laughs> next week. Take good care.